Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I think God was saying to me, you thought the world had something to offer you, and I'm telling you all it has to offer is bitterness. And you need to drink every last drop of it. It was as if God made me drink every last drop of bitterness so that I would be able to say to you with all confidence, that world has nothing to offer me. And I say that solidly. What God offers us is far greater than anything this world could ever offer. We might think there's something bigger or funner, more exciting out in the world than what we will encounter when we follow Christ. But the riches of Christ are eternal and used for a much greater purpose than temporary pleasure. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and those things which are so much less important will grow faintly dim. With more of our message, Moses' Faith and Choices, out of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Look at verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age. Now, first of all, that's pretty funny because when Stephen was addressing in Acts Moses, Stephen said, when Moses was 40 years old, he went out and looked upon the affliction of his people. So when Moses became of age, he was 40. Now, if you're young, you go, oh no, you become of age when you're 18, okay? Or you're 21, whatever it is that you say. If you're 40 now, you like it. You go, yeah, life's just starting. I'm just become of age. For me, I don't know, it's 50, I think. That's when you become of age. But nevertheless, when Moses became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There came a point when Moses gave up all of that privilege that he had been given. When he refused, when he said, I'm a Hebrew and I am not an Egyptian and I will not accept being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now this means he gave up the line to the throne he gave up that position. Now, all of us are called to surrender. All of us are called to give up. Not all of us are in line for the throne in Egypt and able to give that up, right? But that doesn't mean that you are not called to sacrifice. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Do you believe that this world has what you need or do you believe that God has what you need? And are you willing to say as he did, I refuse the things of this world, because in the end, they're a dead end. And what can they do for you in the long haul? You will perish one day. You know, the old statement, it's been used in a thousand sermons. It's been used in a hundred thousand sermons, but the old statement, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take anything with you. Doesn't matter how much you accumulate. It doesn't matter what you do. When you stand before God, it is as Job said, naked, I have came into this world and naked, I will leave. You can take nothing with you. And so he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But we learn a little bit more about it. And here's his choice. Verse 25, choosing, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He could have stayed comfortable, but he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. When you make a commitment to Christ, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And that is certainly true. He said, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again, but drink of the water that I give you and you will never thirst again. I believe that living for him is the way that you are the most satisfied and that you are the most fulfilled. But that doesn't mean that you won't suffer. And it doesn't mean you won't have affliction. You have behind door number one, the world. And you have behind door number two, following Jesus. 
And Jesus said, if you choose this door in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, that's not a promise we hang on our walls. It's not one we put on plaques or in pocket promise books. I've got a plaque that says, in this world, you will have tribulation, only because I said this in a sermon one time, and one of you guys decided to give me one. <laughs> so I put it out in my garage. It's actually hanging near a saw. I don't know how good that is. You're working with the saw. In this world, you will have tribulation. Fingers. Get your fingers out of the way. In this world, you will have tribulation. Paul, like Moses, had all of this influence as a Hebrew leader, and Paul gave it up to follow Christ. And here's what Paul said that I might know him in the power of the resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. And then later on, Paul said that I could complete the work of Christ by the suffering of my body. Now, I'll, I'll confess to you that I've looked at that verse many times and wondered exactly what it means. How can we, through our suffering, fulfill the work of Christ he suffered on the cross and he died and he completed that work. But how can me go through suffering be used to complete his work? Because God's not done saving souls yet. I'm not saying I completely understand it now, but I'm telling you I'm getting a better understanding that it is in the midst of our difficulties and sorrows and tribulations and sufferings that God uses us in the most powerful way. It is then that God reaches out and begins to touch lives through us we say, well, I want to follow him, but I don't know that I want tribulation. I don't know that I want difficulty. I don't know that I want suffering. Peter said, don't think it's strange when you encounter fiery trials. James said, consider it all joy when you face different and various kinds of trials. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have persecution and you will have tribulation. But it is in the midst of all of that that God uses to bring people into eternity because it's not living here and now that matters. It's what's in the future. And so he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, understanding the affliction, right? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And now we learn more about what's going on inside of his head, esteeming the reproach of Christ. The word esteem means to lift up. We understand that. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. Like Paul, who gloried in his suffering for Jesus, he esteemed suffering with God's people. He said, this is something. Now, remember, Jesus wasn't around yet. So when it says esteeming uh, the suffering of Christ or esteeming the affliction of Christ, it's the word Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah and he esteemed that suffering. Do you lift up how God might use you in a difficult and tough way? Do you esteem saying, you know what, Lord, I give my life to you and however you want to use me, whatever you want to do, then I'll do it. I'm rereading a book now on the life of D.L. Moody. It's a biography on D.L. Moody. It's a powerful book. It's a long book. But if you're looking for something to read that will really encourage you in your faith, it's a great book to read. It's called A Passion for Souls. But one of the things that it says about D.L. Moody, he was a very successful businessman as a young man. First of all, he was completely illiterate. He grew up in a home. His father died young. He wasn't able to go to school. And in 1855 or so, he went to Chicago and he began to sell shoes. And pretty soon, he was a strong businessman. He was making $7,000 a year, which in 1855 was a lot of money. All right, it'd be like $150,000 today. And he gave it all up to enter into ministry. He gave it all up to run a Sunday school for children out of the sands. 
The area in the sands back then was called Little Hell. No one would go into the area and minister to people. And D.L. Moody, because he was illiterate, just felt that's all I can minister to. That's what he told people. He said, God's called me to minister to him because that's all I can minister to. He felt he couldn't minister to people who were literate. So he went to the ones that were illiterate to begin to minister to him. And he gave up his position as a businessman. He started sleeping on benches. He was living off of his money, but he was also using his money to feed these people, the money that he had saved. And his friends thought he was nuts. His friends told him, you can be far more successful at helping these children if you work in the business world. But he felt that God had called him to give it all up and he laid it all down. God ended up using D.L. Moody as one of the greatest preachers to ever reach our country. In fact, he held a revival in New York that had 14,000 people a night show up for nine months. 14,000 people for nine months. And thousands of people every night gave their lives to Christ. God used him to minister to many people that lost their lives. When the Civil War started, when President Lincoln, by the way, after he had given up his position as a businessman, President Lincoln came to his Sunday school, which gave him a lot of position. God just kind of used that in that way. But when President Lincoln became president, he ran on a platform where he wasn't going to let any of the territories become states if they were going to allow slaves. That caused North Carolina and a few of the other states to secede and call themselves a whole different country. They seceded and it started the Civil War. And when it started, they thought it was only gonna take a few months to bring the South back into line. It ended up taking years, right? And became a bloody, bloody battle. And God used D.L. Moody in the middle of that to touch many of the hearts of young men that lost their lives in that battle. It's interesting how God raised him up and gave him such influence right in a time when it was really needed. See, you and I don't know what's coming. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what God's gonna need or how God could move. And all we can do is say, Lord, I'm yours. And I'll follow you however you want me to follow. I don't know that God wants you to give up business or God wants you to be used in your business. It's different for everybody. But what I know is God is asking you to sacrifice. God is asking you to esteem the reproach of Christ to say, you know what? I'll be laughed at for him. I'll be mocked for him. The world thinks that we as Christians are weak. But what the world doesn't know is that what we have in Christ is exactly what this world needs. And there is real strength that comes from him. Now, the passage goes on to tell us a little bit more about what was going on in his mind. It says in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He thought, if I go and live with the people, if I deliver them, there are greater riches in that than the riches that are in Egypt. He gave up the temporary riches of Egypt because he believed that there were greater riches and rewards with God. I had said early on in this study that the world has nothing to offer us. You know how I learned that? I learned that when I was 18 years old. I had met the Lord when I was 14. And for four years or so, I had really grew in Christ. I had a couple of guys that came along and kind of took me under their wings and God had really used them. I'd begun to listen to Chuck Smith tapes. That was my first exposure to Calvary Chapel. And I began to listen to J. Vernon McGee tapes. Those were, again, my first exposure to the Bible. And I had met the Lord in a Methodist church, 
which ended up firing the youth pastor who led me to the Lord because he got a lot of us kids saved. Because, I don't know, maybe you grew up in a church like this, that as long as you went to church, then you were okay. That's what the Methodist church taught. The one I was in, okay? There might be others that teach other things, but the one that I was in taught that as long as you went to church, you were okay. So I left the Methodist church. God called me out and I went to an Assembly of God church. There's a young guy there who was a preacher. He was 25 years old and uh, he was a pacer. Now I realize that you guys are going, so are you, buddy, all right? Now I am, but he was a pacer in a much different way than I am. I'm a pacer, just I got a lot of energy and I just walk and I talk, okay? But he was a rhythm kind of a preacher. You guys know what I'm talking about? He was guy, he'd go back and forth. And a God wants you to live for him and give up everything and live for him. And you know, that's the way he preached. Now I was 18. I sat in one too many sermons that put me to sleep. Now, if you're sleeping right now, wake up, okay? But I've sat in one too many sermons like this. Here's the kind of sermons I grew up with. As the spider descends from the ceiling... And crawls along the ground, so we are in the sight of God. Right? And it only takes about three or four minutes until you're like, I can't stay awake anymore. So this guy would pace back and forth and preach. And I came in one day, and there was an old guy preaching. He's about 40. I was 18. Okay, everything is perspective, right? And I said to one of my friends, I had no idea that something horrible had happened. And I said to one of my friends, where's Pastor Bob? And he said, you haven't heard? He had an affair with his secretary and he's gone. Now I learned firsthand at 18 years old what a scandal in a church will do to it. I learned the pain and the suffering that a church faces. And I gotta tell you, for me, it was devastating. Guy that I was learning the gospel from all of a sudden has this affair. So I called a friend of mine who had been a mentor to me. He was the guy that took over the place of the youth pastor in the Methodist church for the guy that led me to the Lord. When I called him up, his wife answered and she said, you haven't heard? He left me for another woman. He had an affair and he left me. Now I said, I'm 18 years old at this point. I met the Lord when I was 14. I've been growing in Christ for these four years. And I said at that point, I'm done. If this is what Christianity is all about, then I'm not going to be a Christian. And I walked away from God for a year. I use that as an excuse. And listen, I understand that that's devastating. I understand how more than people just like me were affected. Okay. I understand all that. But I also know what was going on in my heart. I use that as an excuse because I really believe the world had something to offer me. At 18 years old, I looked out at the world in a longing kind of a way as a Christian thinking, I think there's something there. I didn't know what I know today. And so I began to go out and live in the world. I walked away from God. Some Christians from the Assembly of God Church called me and I blasted them. Listen, you know, now you know what I said. You know, if that's what it's all about, then I'm not gonna follow God. And how dare you come and I'm not going back. And so I went out into the world. But Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the one. And Jesus came after me. I had three cars at the time. My dad had passed away when I was 14. He had left me some money. It was through his insurance, actually, but I had some money. In 1978, I had a, a 1976 Jeep. I had a 68 Camaro and I had a motorcycle. During that time, my motorcycle was stolen. I didn't have insurance on it like a dummy. I blew my Jeep up. Literally, I was pulling somebody out at Elephant Butte Lake and it caught on fire and blew up. <laughs> and I didn't have insurance on it. And I sold my Camaro. Now, that's the car that I wish I would keep. You guys have a car like that in your past? A car that you say, man, I was an idiot for selling. So I sold my Camaro. All of a sudden, I had nothing. 
and I lost my driver's license because of the Camaro. I got one too many tickets. When I went in front of the judge for the last and final ticket, they said, you're done. I'm taking your license away from you for a year. So I lost it to an 18-year-old that had vehicles. Those made me somebody, right? And then I lost them all and I lost my license. And then my girlfriend broke up with me. It was like the last straw. So I'm driving home one night. I realized my license is gone, but I was backslidden, okay? <laughs> I'm driving home one night and I turn on the radio and just because I'm all of a sudden my world has been yanked out from under me and I turn it over to the Christian station. And there's a song on playing by a group called Love Song called Little Pilgrim. And here's what it said. Little pilgrim walking down the road of life. Can't you see that there are many others who are just like you? And they take a little turn to the left to see what that road has to offer. But they've got to make it back to the main road anyhow. And they've got all that lost time to make up for. And it's a sad thing when you realize that you're all alone once more, that you're on your own again. God spoke to me. You're on your own. It's time to come back. I went home that night and I laid down on my bed and I said to God, I still remember staring up at the ceiling and saying to God, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done living for myself, whatever you want me to do. Isn't that funny? I come to the very bottom, I lose it all. And now I'm like, okay, God, I'm here. I'm ready to follow you. I went to church that next Sunday, but here's the thing. And I went to an Assembly of God church and it was a good church. And I'm sure the pastor was a good pastor and I'm sure the worship was good. People around me were raising their hands, but nothing happened in my heart. As I sat there in that pew and I looked, listened to the music and I was used to going to church and being touched. I was used to God speaking to me during the time of worship and speaking to me during the message. And I felt nothing. It was like cold and dead. And I got up and I left. And as I walked out to the parking lot, I thought I've gone too far. God didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. God's done with me. I thought I'll be a Christian, but God's done with me. I'm never going to feel that again. About two weeks later, a friend of mine who was a cruise buddy, while I was backslidden, I got drunk twice. I didn't like being drunk, by the way, because I was out of control. I did not like it. I got drunk twice. During one of those times, I witnessed to a friend. <laughs> out of all things. You know, why do you do what you do when you get drunk, right? So I get drunk, and I'm like, you need Jesus. You know, you need to live for you. I'm drunk. Well, that friend, I don't know that he even remembered that I witnessed to him, but he called me up and he said, listen, I got saved and you need to come to church with me tonight. I went to church with him that night. It was this bizarre little charismatic church. In fact, we had to step over people that had been slain in the spirit when we walked into the church. And we got in there and I sat down and as soon as the worship started, God touched me. And I began to cry and God said, come home. And it just clearly as clear can be, God spoke to my heart. It's time for you to come home. Now, I bring that story up now to say this. What was the deal between those two weeks? Why, when I was touched by God by that song and went to church, why nothing? And then why, two weeks later, did God bring me back? And immediately, God began to work in my life. I met my wife about a month after that. Now, we ended up leaving that bizarre little church and getting into a solid church, and God began to move. But why those two weeks? Here's what I think it was. I think God was saying to me, you thought the world had something to offer you and I'm telling you all it has to offer is bitterness and you need to drink every last drop of it. It was as if God made me drink every last drop of bitterness so that I would be able to say to you with all confidence, that world has nothing to offer me. And I say that solidly. The world has nothing to offer me. I know in the short term, there may be pleasure in sin for a season. I know that. But I also know 
that as we look at the reward, what we have in Christ is no comparison to the world. The world is a dead end, but when we follow Christ, it leads into eternity. And that's what Moses says here when it says at the end of verse 26, for he looked to the reward. He looked beyond it to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt. By faith, he turned his back on the world. I don't know what level you've turned your back upon the world or by what level you may still be hanging on to it, but by faith, we make choices And when we turn our backs on this world and say, I am not a man or a woman of this world, it is then that God will move. It says, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He entered into a relationship with God. He endured. His faith gave him that kind of endurance and he looked towards him who was invisible. Now, Moses ended up being the one in the Bible that had this incredible relationship with God. I don't know that there's anybody that had a better relationship than Moses. Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai because God calls him up. And then there's this cloud of glory on top of Mount Sinai. And there's lightning and there's thunder. And Moses is hanging outside the cloud for seven days. God says, come up here. And Moses did. And there's this cloud. There's lightning. There's thunder. It's bright in there. And then all of a sudden, from the middle of the cloud, God says, Moses, come in here. I don't know whether you'd go in or not. Because <laughs> God calls you from out, come in. Moses went in and spent 40 days and 40 nights with God inside that cloud. That's pretty incredible. He saw what was invisible, but he looked towards the reward and he ended up gaining the substance that believing brought to him. Now, listen, maybe you would love to have a cloud show up to you and God call you in, but the relationship that you have with God, Christian, is greater than the one that Moses had. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, but then he said this, And he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Greater than, John the Baptist was greater than Elijah, greater than Elisha, greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, greater than these Old Testament prophets. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than those guys. That's the position that we have. And by faith, if we will receive God, we will get the substance of what that is really about. Learning what living a life for him is called for. Now, I don't know what you're called to do, but I know this, you've got a race to run. God has called you to be the light of the world and God wants you to live for the people that are around you. And if you will believe by faith, forsake the things of this world and turn to him, I believe that God will use you in great and powerful ways. And who knows how? Who knows how? How do we know that our world isn't turning to something like the civil war when God raised up D.L. Moody who would give up everything? And maybe God is speaking to your heart today on some level to give something up for him. God will use that, I believe, to do great and powerful things. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we know you know the future. And you know we don't know the future. But what we do know is that we want to live for you. We want to surrender our lives to you. And we have been chosen to live in this time. And you have said that we have a race to run. And we want to run the race with endurance that you give us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be lights that would shine in a dark place, that you would use us to touch the hearts and souls of men and women who don't know you. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today who think that the world has something to offer them. Lord, may we see the reality of the emptiness or the passing pleasure of this world and that we would hang on to that which is true and lasting by faith, gaining the substance of things that we don't see. 
And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.